0: camper's already introduced me. Uh, I know some of you, some of you I do not know. uh, My wife knows many more people here than I do. She probably knows many more people than you do here, Uh, (laughs) even though we've only been here three months uh, or four months. Uh, I've been away uh, probably more than half the time since we've lived here, since uh, January 1st. But anyway, it's good to be here. Uh, I'm glad to be able to. uh, look at god's word with you this morning from psalm 131 and that's uh, where we'll be this morning um, uh, as you're opening you're finding your way to psalm 131 uh, our family has a tradition uh, that my wife helped set when uh, the kids were old enough to kind of sing along when we drive to church go to worship we would uh, Instead of listening to what we might normally listen to, which might be a Christian song, might be some kind of fun song on the radio or, or uh, on a CD, we uh, tradition we would listen to worship music on the way to worship. Um, and uh, depending on how far away we live from the church, we could sing several songs maybe. Well, now we live 300 meters that way. And we get through about half of a song before uh, we get here. Um, but uh, Psalm 131, maybe we could sing that. But the reason I bring that up is, is that Psalm 131 is a song of ascent, And uh, those psalms were, were sung by the Jews as they traveled to Jerusalem once a year for the Passover. And they would ascend to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was a high point. And they sang these songs uh, about the Lord. And uh, here David is telling us something about what's going on inside of him. Uh, that is some what is not going on inside of him, but what is. And it's really an ideal setting that uh, David is describing here of, of his inner life. And so let us read it. <clears throat> a song of a sense of David. "O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great, And too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as our Father. You indeed are good and gracious and merciful. And you as our all-knowing God... You know our hearts, you know the things that weigh us down, the burdens we carry, uh, the unrest of our souls, and would you, um, through your word this morning and by your spirit, would you remind us of who you are, remind us of what we have in you. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his sake, amen. As Camper said, I'm a chaplain in the Army, and in my eight or plus years as being a chaplain in the Army, I've had uh, a great blessing, it's been a great blessing to have been assigned to various airborne units. A couple of you in here I know are familiar with airborne units, uh, but what an airborne unit is, is it's a, a particular type of Army unit that finds its way to the battlefield by way of uh, the air or, or parachutes. Um, and uh, the typical way the army jumps out of airplanes, the type of the, the way the parachute gets deployed or released is through static line jumping. Uh, most of you are familiar with parachuting. And, and what you see on TV sometimes is just free fall parachuting. And a few army uh, soldiers do that. But most, it's static line jumping. And, and what happens is, is you have a static line uh, that is a cord or a line that runs from the back of your parachute that once you're in the aircraft and you're ready to jump, you hook into an anchor line cable. And once you exit the door or the ramp, whichever way you're jumping that day, um, the static line that you hope is attached well uh, to the cord, it stays behind and you let gravity do its thing and it pulls the static line uh, pulls the parachute out and your parachute deploys, uh, ideally. Uh, you have a reserve in case that doesn't happen. Uh, but uh, when, and when you jump, you're jumping most of the time, most army units jump out of airplanes, some out of helicopters occasionally, but usually they're big airplanes, like a C-17 or a C-130 and many jumpers will jump out at one time Not, I mean, fo- they will follow each other out of the door which means that those static lines part of them are outside of the aircraft and they kind of bounce around and get twisted around because you're going at least 130 knots as you're jumping and uh, it takes a little while uh, to pull those back in because the the wind is strong and the the two jumpers who are left behind basically to to pull it in, the safeties, they pull those in. And once they pull them in, you can imagine they've been flapping in the wind like that. Uh, You might have anywhere from 50 to 75 of these static lines. uh, That would be how many jumpers have left the aircraft. You pull them in and you unfasten them. Uh, They're just a tangled mess. Uh, to unwind the knots takes a long time uh, because at the end of that static line is a a little cloth bag it's a deployment bag and it's all wound up in there with the static lines and and the reason I bring that up is that that tangled mess is a very good uh, word picture or a picture, not a word picture but an actual picture of uh, a good image of of the inner lives that we experience, our, our inner lives That is, we have worries, we have fears, we have a little guilt in there, we have uh, pressures, we have ambitions and desires, we have problems, we have to-do lists that all kind of get wound up inside of us, and it becomes a big knotted mess that we just, uh, that we carry around with us every day, that we go to bed with and sleep with, or sometimes we can't sleep because of them. This passage speaks to that, to that inner life, that, that, that turmoil that we often experience in our inner lives. It's an ideal picture of a soul, a heart at rest, of David's inner life at that point in time that's not wound in knots, but it's calm and ordered. And so I want to ask you three questions this morning. The first question is this, is this psalm your experience? Is this psalm your experience? Verse 2, David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now, if you are a believer, on some level, at various points in your Christian life, you can say yes to this. Because you have experienced the freedom from guilt of knowing that your sins are gone, washed away. You have experienced uh, during your worries, I'm being reminded of a God who cares for you, who is in control, and that that has made your worries dissipate. So, on one level, and at various points in your Christian life, if you're a believer, you can say yes. This psalm has been your experience, maybe not perfectly, but it, it's been your experience. But our hearts uh, are, are Jekyll and Hyde. We're, we're prone to wander, and. Uh, if we're honest with ourselves, most of the time we would say, this is not my experience. Yes, it is, but most of the time it's not. Now, as an aside here, let me say this. Uh, When when David is describing this calm and quieted soul, he's not describing a personality type. I'm a laid-back kind of person. And if you came to my house and you saw my wife Donna and I together or in the house, you would see that she's not as laid-back as I am. Just a personality. It's It's not... bad she's just busier person she she's got more things going on now you might look at me on the surface and think well he's more virtuous he's just calm and quiet well my calm and quiet is often not that virtuous it's more like indifference uh, or (laughs) laziness that's not what I'm talking about here Uh, this this is not David's not talking about indifference uh, or or a personality type This calm that he's talking about is also not connected to circumstances. That is, if you get in your right situation, all of us can kind of be calm. Psalm 132 says in the first verse, it says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured. And if you know anything about David's life, he endured a lot of hardships. He was First of all, he was king, and that has its own set of hardships you deal with. But he was also, before he was king and while he was king, pursued by various people. Uh, His life was pursued. Uh, he was, his life was threatened. So he had circumstances where, that were not optimal. In other words, he's not sitting on a beach in the Keys of Florida uh, sipping his favorite drink listening to Jimmy Buffett. That's not why he's calm and quiet here. Something is going on with David. Something supernatural is happening that is enabling him to be calm and quiet. But sadly for us as believers... Uh, this is often elusive, this, this calm and quiet, if we're honest with ourselves. For us, who call on the same God that David called on, the same Yahweh, the same covenant God, we often find this, this, this calm very fleeting, if we ever have it. Right now, this day, this hour, many of you are stressed. Many of you are burdened or worried about something. Some of you, it might be the state of our country. You, you've, you've had uh, too many hours of CNN or Fox News on, and you, you can't quite get that out of your head. Where's our country going? Whether you're right or left, it, you, you're worried. Some of you have health concerns, real health concerns, things to, that are good are, are right concerns, but they've, they're weighing on you. They're consuming you. Some of you have children that you're worried about. A son or a daughter who might be astray. Some of you have uh, pressure from from your peers, whether you're young or old, that you just don't know what to do with, how to deal with it, and know what to do with. Some of you have work stress. Some of you have relational issues going on. All of these things weigh you down. You're struggling to experience what David is experiencing here this peace, this quiet, this calm. (laughs) And so when I ask you, is this your experience, I know you can say yes if you're a believer, but I know you you can say no to this because this is often not your experience. It's not, not often my experience. So the second question we need to ask ourselves is this, why is it not your experience? Why is what David has going on here inside of him, why is this not your regular experience if you're a believer? Now, in saying that, I'm not trying to make you have any more guilt than you already have or stress than you already have. You know, great, he's given me something else to be stressed out about. Now worries a sin. What are you going to tell me next? You know, uh, that's, not, that's not what I'm trying to do here. I, I want us to locate why we uh, get so wound up. What is it that often keeps us from this true calm, this true peace? There's a man named David Pallison, who some of you may know. He's a Christian counselor. He's kind of a leader in, the, in Christian counseling. And he, he writes some very good things on different issues. And one of the things he's written is on, on pressure. It's a little booklet he has called Peace Under Pressure. And it's basically, he takes Psalm 131. And what he does to locate the real issue in our hearts is he flips the psalm on its head. He makes it into an anti-psalm. And he rewrites it in the opposite way and, it, and I think this helps maybe understand why we are the way we are sometimes it goes like this self my heart is proud I'm absorbed in myself and my eyes are haughty I look down on other people I chase after things too great and too difficult for me so of course I'm noisy and restless inside it comes naturally like a hungry infant fussing on his mother's lap like a hungry infant I'm restless with my demands and worries. I scatter my hopes onto anything and everything all the time. The first time I read that, I thought, he's got it. He has nailed me. Hearing the flip side of the psalm exposes really the real issue, and it's pride. It's it's our pride. And now pride is 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 a common issue that we all have, but it takes forms in many ways, and one of the ways pride uh, takes form in our lives is, is in that we want to control our world in a way that only God can control it. What is pride? Pride is putting ourselves in the place of God, simply put. Putting ourselves in God's place. As Tim Keller said, who we were listening to his, uh, uh, and watching his video series uh, for Sunday School, he calls it cosmic plagiarism. We're taking what is God's and trying to make it ours and claiming it to be ours. That is, somehow control over the world, our world. You know, that's, isn't that what worry is when you worry? You, you get fixated. You have this compulsion to fixate on a situation. Uh, and you, fix a, you, you fixate on that situation in hopes that your hyper-fixation on it will control it. You know, there's this inner dialogue going in your head. On the subconscious level, you're basically saying this, God, I know you're in control, kind of, but I think that I should be, and because I know better than you how to run my life, I'm going to think on this thing really hard in hopes that I can change it or keep it from happening. Does, does, our, does our worry work? Well, apparently we th- we think it does because we often do it. But Jesus reminds us in the Sermon on the Mount that it has no effect. It's futile. You can't add one inch to your height or one, one uh, uh, link, uh, hour to the end of your life by worry. It's futile. It's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. My mother and father are here, so uh, the first time my mother's been around for Mother's Day in a long time. What kind of son would make his mother come to him on Mother's Day? I ask you. So what a a fine mother she is. Uh, But uh, mothers bless you, bless you. You you deal with so many things. You carry so many burdens of your children. There's so many concerns you have, so many worries, I can say. So many things that you can feel guilty about, or you try to feel guilty about, or regrets that you have. You carry it with you. In a way that dads don't, not because dads are more virtuous, just remember what I said earlier. <laughs> this psalm is for you mothers, it's for young people. College students are gone uh, now, but uh, a lot of pressure, more pressure maybe than when I was in college. I just read that they're, they're, they're using dogs now in dorm rooms to help alleviate the stress that's, that college students feel. I don't remember feeling that much stress in college. Again, maybe it's because I didn't care. But <laughs> they, A lot of stress to get the right job, uh, you know, make the right grades, get the right job, so you, you know, won't be uh, taken over by a bad economy, whatever. Uh, our, our country who, that knows more uh, affluence and peace than any other country in history as far as personal peace and things, seem, people seem to be more stressed out than ever. This psalm is for us. Why is your experience not like this? Well, locate the the form of pride in your heart. It could be true, like trying to control your world, or it could be that you just don't care, and that's causing problems, but it's still a form of pride. Locate why you concern yourselves for things too great for you. In other words, things beyond your pay grade? Why is this not your experience? But we can't stop here, because that would just make us more stressful. We need some hope. So the last question I have for you is, how can this be your experience? How can what David experienced here be your experience? How can we have this calm and quiet? Now, admittedly, this is an ideal experience. Uh, I wouldn't expect you to have this every day of every moment of every day for the rest of your life any more than I would experience, expect you not to be able to sin anymore for the rest of your life. So it's an ideal experience that David is, is experiencing at this moment. But as followers of Christ, it's still something that is not beyond us. To, to, to have a regular experience of calm and quiet. What does David know that will help us? It's not simply, hey, do what David does here. Well, we don't know exactly what David was doing, but we do know what he says here, and this helps us. What was his focus? Look at verse 2. He says, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, if you've seen the Time Magazine cover this week, please erase that from your mind, as disturbing as that might be. Um, we're not going into that, but but the, the, the and I and I prepared this sermon, or I was thinking about it before that came out. So, uh, what does he mean by wean child? He says it twice, so it must be important. Well, you, you, mothers know this. If you a nursing child, particularly when it's hungry, when he or she is hungry, and he or she is in your lap, they're fussy, uh, noisy, fretting. Fretting while they're in their mother's presence, they they need something, and that only the mommy can give it to them. A wean child, ideally, is not fussy or fretting, but is content to just be in his or her mother's lap, just for who she is. You see, David is what he's saying here is he's attentive to God. He's attentive. Uh, to Yahweh, the covenant-making, keeping God that he knows. He is delighting in God for who he is, just simply for who he is. He's in his presence for who he is. And being in the presence of a great God dissipates worry. Being attentive to a mighty God who loves you, who cares for you, whose love is steadfast, dissipates worry. I heard this... uh, a couple of years ago, very good image of how we treat God. Um, we treat God like cats treat their masters versus the way dogs treat their masters. And it goes like this. Uh, and, and again, if you're a cat lover, I, I'm not trying to offend you. I like cats. Um, but cats don't have, in a cat's mind, doesn't have a master. It has a caretaker or a roommate. So, and, it's true. I mean, there might be one cat out there that acts like a dog, but most of them, you know, they, they're aloof in some way, unless they need something for you, unless you, they need some food. Um, and, and they come to you when they want to come to you. A dog's not that way. A dog just enjoys being in your presence, just, just being with the master. It's good enough just be with you. A cat, mm, I need something from you. You've got to make it worth my while. <laughs> and we treat God like that sometimes. I didn't come up with that image, but it's very true. Listen, if you're beholding God's greatness, if you're attentive to him for who he is, uh, it calms you, it quiets you. So David is attentive to his Lord. But in being attentive to his Lord, he's also relating to his Lord. He says in verse 3, a hope in the Lord. He's he's casting his hope, his identity in, in, in Yahweh. And who is this Yahweh? Well, he's already said in chapter 130, uh, uh, Psalm 130, just before this, we, we find out who Yahweh is, uh, what he's like. He says there is steadfast love with him. There's this hesed that the Hebrew says, this covenant love, that God in his mercy, he's not fickle. He's not one way this day and another way the next day. He is fully trustworthy. He is someone I can entrust my soul to, who I can lay my hopes on. He's someone I can know and get to know and relate to. Someone you know, someone who's absolutely fickle, it's hard to get to know and hard to really relate to because you never know what's going on. But God is not that way. You can know him. In uh, the book Flags of Our Fathers by James Bradley, a book written about... Soldiers in uh, World War II, particularly in uh, the Pacific Theater in Iwo Jima. Uh, James Bradley's father participated in uh, that battle. And uh, James tells the story of the famous photograph that happened um, on uh, Iwo Jima um, that that was taken of the Marines. And most of you know what I'm talking about. um, Where the Marines raised the flag there on the top of Iwo Jima. The picture appeared, that picture appeared in numerous papers at that time, um, including a hometown Texas newspaper being perused by a guy named Ed Block, who was also a soldier but he was in the Air Force on leave at the time. And uh, as he was perusing the paper, his mother, Belle, passed by the newspaper and saw the the not-so-famous picture at the time, but now-famous picture. Uh, he saw the picture and, and said, uh, walked by and at a glance and said, uh, that's your brother Harlan raising that flag. And his, her her son, Ed, said, that, that's, we don't know that. There's no side view of it. And plus, we don't even know if, if uh, Harlan is at Iwo Jima. Well, she said, no, I know my boy. I know my son. Well, it turns out that um, when the names were disclosed, um, it came out that that was not Harlan uh, Block, but it was a guy named Henry Hansen. But Bell Block was unmoved by that. She says, I know my son, and that's my son. Well, sadly, Harlan Block was killed a little later. But in 1947, Bell received notification of a correction that uh, Henry Hansen had not been the man in the picture, but it indeed had been Harlan Block. And she was not surprised. She says, I know my son. When David is referring to hoping in the Lord, he's saying it like that. I know my God. He he can calm me. He can bring calm to chaos. He can quiet a noisy heart. I know the Lord. He hopes in the Lord. That's what he's saying. This this calm happens as we're attentive to God, as we're relating to him. And it all happens within community. Because look what he says in verse 3. I skipped over it, but he says, oh, Israel. He's not just saying, hey, you, Jim or Bob or Jane or uh, whoever, not individually. He's saying the corporate God's people. This is for all of us. It's a plea to God's people. Each Lord's Day, we gather here to, to spur one another on, to, to call us uh, to look to the Lord. Um, the, the pastor does. But we do as well. As we sing, we encourage one another by our faithfulness to God, by our looking over and seeing someone, uh, seeing the, the the faithfulness of God when you know they're going through difficulties. We're calling people to quiet. We're calling people to calm, to rest in the Lord. And if you are not connected in community with God's people, you will not have this sustained calm because it's only here that we fully understand how to be attentive to God, how to truly relate to God as we do so in community. This calm and quiet can be attained. And it has been if you know Jesus. Because we know, if, as followers of Jesus, we know that it's, this is all directly and exclusively linked to knowing Jesus, to relating to Him. We know it's not primarily a system. I can't give you a one, two, three or a, 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 a little mantra to say, you know, serenity now and make you, your, all your troubles go away or calm. We know that Jesus was familiar with struggles, with sufferings. He wasn't indifferent. He took all the cares and concerns of the world on him and yet he had a calm and quiet soul. We know he had pressure. He knows where we live. He knows this world. He knows this life. It's found in relationship to Jesus. Dr. Robert Rayburn was uh, the founder of Covenant College and Covenant Seminary. Uh, I went to Covenant Seminary, and and, uh, some of you, most of you are probably familiar with uh, Covenant College and Covenant Seminary being the the college and seminary of the PCA. Um, What you may not know, if you know anything about Dr. Rayburn, was that he was also an Army chaplain during World War II and the Korean War. He was a chaplain with the 187th uh, Parachute Infantry Regiment. They were called the Rokkasans. It's a Japanese word for falling umbrellas. The Japanese saw the parachutes descending. Um, Well, when he's in Korea, he got word 24 hours in advance, got significant warning that he was about to go jump with his unit behind enemy lines. Now, that's stressful in and of itself, but here's some things to add to that. Uh, Dr. Rayburn had never jumped before This wouldn't happen today. You'd have to have jumped to do this, to have to go through school before. But he had never jumped. He had never jumped while being shot at. He had never landed in a parachute. He he had never landed in a parachute while being shot at. And all those things he was about to experience. And uh, on the aircraft that that night when they were going to jump, he uh, prayed a psalm and went to sleep, calm and quiet. And the soldiers around him were amazed How could he do this? The gospel, Christianity, gives us resources for this kind of calm. There is hope. We can have peace amidst the worst type of situation, the the most intense pressure or or the fears or the worries that weigh us down. We can have a calm as we're attentive to the Lord, as we relate to him. Not just today, but it says, from this time forth and forevermore. If you're a Christian, I say to you, look to Jesus, the calmer of the storms. If you're not a Christian, you can't know what David knows here outside of Jesus. You might be laid back, but you can't really know this. But he calls, Jesus calls you to himself. He says, come unto me, all you that labor, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Let's pray.